Welcome back to Single Minded, where we are flipping the script on being single. I am your host, Hannah First. And I'm your co-host, Linda. So, Linda, we've got a special (laughs) guest today sitting next to you. We've got a very special guest, one of my besties, Tamara, and she's talking about solo travel over 50s. And I know one of her favourite things to do is going to a health retreat. So we're going to ask her about that. What a special thrill to be a guest on Single Minded, which is clearly one of my favourite podcasts that I listen to (laughs) regularly. And I am so thrilled to be talking today about my holiday adventures as a single. For someone that's on their own, I'm not really interested in going to a European country, even though we can't travel, and sit in a hotel, have breakfast on my own, dinner on my own. Mm. So over the years, I've explored health retreats. Mm -hmm. I've been to Golden Door. Guingana, Gaia, and all of them have offered the most fabulous opportunity. What I love the most is you can join in on everything or do nothing. Mm -hmm. You're provided with someone to have breakfast with, lunch with, dinner with, and there are activities from 6am to 6pm. So now, Tam, last time you went, you had a nice little story (laughs) about a couple that you met that actually weren't a couple. Tell us about that. Well, it's always interesting at a health retreat because there's generally about 40 men, sorry, 40 women. I wish 40 men. (laughs) I was like, sign me up, 40 men. (laughs) 40 women to about five men. So day one, everybody's sussing everybody out and who's with who and what their story is. So I see this lovely guy, Mark, who I have a chat to and find out he's sold a very big retail empire And as the days go on, I'm trying to work out, is that his wife? Who's the lady with him? So I finally work out their brother and sister. Uh Then to add to the excitement, he's divorced. (laughs) Divorced, (laughs) rich and cute. So during the course, so during the course of the sort of breakfasts activities, I even did with my blow wave that I was trying to hold on to for a week, water aerobics every morning or deep water running in the hope that I could just talk to him and make contact. So the first morning he said, "Great to see you in the pool today," and then bit by bit I tried to have a chat, but unfortunately his sister had other ideas. She seemed to plonk herself in between us oh, at every. No. I don't know why, but she was literally, he and I would be in mid-conversation and next minute she'd be sitting there and interrupting. That must have been his problem, a very needy sister. Yes. But then being the dog with a bone that I am, I found out she had a retail shop. So I talked about all things retail and how I love shopping. And bit by bit, I chipped away and became friends with her. But sadly, my five days came to an end. And I never saw him again. I thought, how the hell am I going to find him? So love that you can stalk someone on Facebook. Saw his details on Facebook. Mm. Sent a message and you're all getting excited thinking there's going to be a happy ending. (laughs) Sadly not. His last contact on Facebook was about seven years ago. Oh, <laughs> no. So I did tell so my you, girlfriends you, the story and they said, oh, so you were cock-blocked. I said, I've never heard that expression in oh, my Hannah, mind. have you heard that one? Yes, I've heard that. I've never heard that. <laughs> cock-blocked is what his sister was doing. Exactly. Right. 
So I figure if it's meant to be, it's meant to be and we'll find each other at another time. Yes. One of the things that's fun about going to a health retreat is you meet at the airport and everybody's sussing everybody out, who's who and what are they here for. Anyway, so I met this absolutely loveliest girl called Audrey. She was a nurse, young, early 20s, cares for elderly people and people with disabilities. What I would have thought was just had her whole life happy, vivacious. Anyway, as most health retreats, everybody's truths come out and she talked about some sadness and some mental health issues. As the week went on, we were all very encouraging and talking to her. And on the last day, I was finishing up on the Friday. She was staying till the Sunday, gave her a big hug and said, you know, if you ever need someone to talk to, I'm here, you know, please stay in touch. So I leave day five, day seven, I get an SMS from Audrey. Hey, Tam, you're never going to believe what happened last night. A few of us busted out of the health retreat, went to the local pizza place, drank wine, ate heaps of pizza. So that's all those carbs we haven't eaten for a week. And then I slept with the bartender. No. (laughs) I just said, Audrey, you have just lived my dream. Oh, my God. Well, maybe next time you and I will bust out. (laughs) So really the the upshot is health retreats are a win-win on every level. Yeah. Exercise, health, pampering, and potentially meeting a future guy. (sighs) So I highly recommend, I would hope to go every year back to Gwingana or Golden Door. Yeah, I agree with you because the place that I love to go on my own every year is the sanctuary in Thailand and it's the same. It's like exercise, eating healthy, communal meals together. As someone that's not 18 to 25 and getting drunk Mm. at a hostel, I think that's the best way to feel comfortable being there on your own because people go to health retreats to reset and usually Although, Mum, you would, have you ever been to a health retreat on your own? Never been anywhere on my own, but I would go to the Golden Door on my own if push came to shove. Okay. Tam, thank you so much for joining us for the intro. I actually had someone on Instagram stories ask me about the best health retreats. Those three would be quite exy, I assume, Tam. Yes, they can range for about $3,000 for five days, but very worthwhile. And as I justify it is by the time I added in flights, hotel on my own, food on my own, activities on my own, and the beauty is you do get some lovely pampering. They offer so many fabulous treatments that you may not have ever heard of. And not to mention that you do meet some amazing people. And I've been lucky enough, the last time I was at Gwingana, met a group of girls and we now have a WhatsApp group and have been in touch ever since. And it was all through my five days at Gwingana. Love that. Now all we need is a group of guides. Yes. We need like Mm. a a singles health retreat where Mm. you can go and get healthy and connect with someone else single. There's an idea. So on today's episode, Hannah is talking to Dr. Guy Winch about how our brain responds to rejection and heartbreak. Let's get into the interview. (laughs) 
So Dr. Guy Winch is joining me right now. He is a psychologist and I actually discovered you through an article you wrote, which was why rejection hurts so much and what to do about it. And I shared it previously on another episode that I had quite a few people reach out saying that they felt exactly the same way, particularly in dating. So I really wanted to chat to him today about rejection and hopefully we have enough time to touch on heartbreak as well. Welcome to the podcast, Guy. Thank you for having me. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what sort of are your areas of interest? So I'm a psychologist. My areas of interest are generally emotional health. I distinguish that from mental health. Mental health is about diagnosable conditions. Emotional health is stuff we all deal with. It is how we deal with things like rejection and heartbreak and failure and loneliness. In other words, it's the normative challenges Mm. of our emotional and psychological life. And so that's the specialty that I have. And I really wanted to open up with, I guess, this is a dating podcast and we talk a lot about, you know, relationships and dating apps. So I'd like to know your thoughts on how social media and dating apps have changed the number of rejections we actually open ourselves up to. A lot. Because (laughs) people tell me all the time, you know, when you are swiping right on someone on a dating app and they don't respond. Now, They might not respond because they're already started dating someone, they're lying in a hospital in a coma, for all (laughs) kinds of reasons that you're not aware of. But when they don't respond, it feels like a small rejection. And it's a numbers game on these dating apps. You're swiping a lot. So the potential for rejection is significant, but it's not just the dating apps. Social media Mm -hmm. in general is like that as well. You know, you might have 500 friends on Instagram or TikTok, and if only three of them like your post, that's 497 Mm. rejections for you. So people experience rejection now truly much, much more than they used to before social media and dating apps. Mm. Do you think that, I guess, that the the smaller rejections, they might hurt less for most people? Uh, That would be nice, but no. But (laughs) here's the problem. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it would be terrific if that were, if it were proportional in some uh, cases. But what we know from the research is that it actually doesn't quite matter Mm -hmm. what the size of the rejection is. Now, obviously, true heartbreak and big rejections are going to hurt really much more and for a much longer period of time. The principle is that even small ones are really, really going to sting. And it's so much so in the research that even if you got rejected by someone that you're not interested in, it is going to hurt. And people tell me that in their lives all the time, like, oh, I have these two people at work, I really can't stand them. But then they went to lunch without me and I felt Mm. so hurt. Why is that? And that's because we're wired in this way to experience rejection as painful, regardless Mm. of whether we're actually interested in the person. I'd love to come back to that, but maybe before we do that, I watched a YouTube video and you spoke about the rejection experiment. So I'd love for you to explain how rejection actually affects the brain. So we are wired to experience rejection very much like physical pain. In the rejection experiment, it's a ball tossing experiment where a subject comes to the experiment and sits in a waiting room with two other quote unquote subjects. Only those two subjects are actually research confederates. And those two subjects start tossing a ball around and they toss it to the subject and they're all tossing it. And after one or two rounds, they exclude the subject. And then the subject is brought in and because they think they're there for something else and they're giving all these questionnaires about how they feel and what's going on. And so it's about as mild 
as rejection can be, right? Two strangers mm. didn't toss you a ball in a waiting room. Truly, who cares? And yet yeah. repeatedly subject, experience, and report significant emotional pain, drops in self-esteem, drops in mood, increases in anger. It really does a number on us. Mm. Yeah, it really does. I've really felt that. And that's such a small thing, just throwing a ball. And what actually happened to the brain? So in the brain, in functional MRI studies, in brain scans, we can see that the same areas of the brain get activated as get activated when we experience physical pain. It's not 100% overlap, but they're very, very similar pathways, so much so that researchers assumed that the rejection pathways are literally piggybacking on pathways for physical pain because there was an evolutionary value of experiencing rejection as yep. painful. What was and, the evolutionary and, reason for that? Well, when we were nomadic hunter-gatherers and tribes, you couldn't really survive outside of your tribe by yourself. And so those who could have a sense of rejection being an early warning sign for ostracism, those who experienced that as more painful paid more attention to it and corrected their behavior. Mm -hmm. Those who didn't might then end up getting voted off the island, as it were. But then you're absolutely going to die outside. You're not going to pass along your genes. And so over generations... There was a real survival value in experiencing rejection as painful. So it got kind of wired into us and we are left with that legacy today. Even again, when the rejections are not meaningful, we're not going to die. Somebody doesn't swipe back and we're not going to die. Friends go to lunch without us, but we experience it as, as a dire warning. Mm, mm. And what we were talking about before with like, I guess, the mini rejections and people talk a lot on dating apps that they just delete them and re-download them and then delete them and then re-download them. And I've really experienced this because you, you might go through a whole week or two weeks of these micro mini rejections over and over and over. And all of those things that you were talking about with the ball and the pain, the emotional pain, that all just starts to flood you because it's, it's actually constant. And so do you think that that has a little reason to do with why people are maybe disengaged with dating apps because they're feeling emotional pain, even though they don't know the person on the other end of it? Well, that's the reason. And they're not just feeling emotional pain, but they don't want to feel any more of it. And so yes. let me just not expose myself to that. The problem is, that it kind of defeats your purpose. Your purpose being a dating app is to meet someone. If you keep deleting it, you won't. <laughs> the idea is that you really have to remind yourself mm -hmm. that people come on these dating apps with very different levels of intentionality. Mm. And you might be on there where now I'm ready. Now I really, I'm doing this seriously now. But <laughs> almost most people have been on there when they're not that serious. When, well, I just started seeing this person, but just in case it doesn't work out, let me still be on there. But that means you're not going to give a lot of attention to someone else who comes along or you're really about to go, you know, into your exams or something. And so you don't have the bandwidth, but might as well just pass the time. And then you're not going to be very responsive. There are a thousand and one reasons why people might not be responsive, but we forget that. We think that people have actually took the time to look at our profile, consider us carefully mm. and reject us fully when that's just not the case. Mm, yeah. And so I know that you've spoken about some strategies aside from deleting things like dating apps. And I think you've called these emotional first aid. Can you talk me through some of those emotional first aid tips that you have? Yeah. So the most important one is that when we get rejected, we tend to do the opposite of what's good for us. And that is we tend to, in our effort to understand why that happened, again, even if it's mild, list all our faults and all our shortcomings and review, well, I'm not this enough, I'm not that enough, I'm too much of this, if only I were that. 
And that is just going to make things more painful, number one. Mm -hmm. It's really kicking our self-esteem when our self-esteem is already down when we need to do the opposite. So to revive your self-esteem and to soothe the emotional pain, the best thing you can do is a writing exercise. Make a list of five to ten qualities you have that you know you have, that you know are valuable in the dating world. It might be that you have great eyes or that you make great muffins mm -hmm. or that you give a great back rub. You're emotionally available. You're great socially. You're a doer. You're a planner. You actually like to uh, do well with people's families, whatever it is. I mean, you have lots of qualities. Make a list, then choose one of them and write a short paragraph or two about why that's a meaningful quality that you have and why it's going to be appreciated in the dating world or why it has been in the past. And that will be a reminder of what you are actually bringing to the table as opposed to everything that you're not. So it's, mm. it's really going against the grain of our instinct by reminding ourselves, no, I have value, I have worth, it's been appreciated in the past or will be in the future. And that's the tonic that we need instead of the self-deprecating, self-critical voice that we tend to develop. In the video that I watched, you mentioned that some of your clients had said, I did that, but they hadn't actually written it down. They just said it in their head. What is it about writing it down? So think of our brain this way. Um, the errors of our brain involved in thinking mm -hmm. are different from the errors of our brain involved in writing, are different from the errors of our brain involved in the fine motor skills of actually composing. So when you're using multiple areas of your brain, you actually have to think things through more carefully when you're writing, because then you have, you know, grammar, you have all these things to consider. So you are going deeper and you are being more impactful by writing. And the analogy I always give is, you know, I say to people, well, if you're hungry, you can think about the food you have in your fridge and how you might cook it. It's not going to make you less hungry until you actually do that. And so the writing is the cooking and the eating rather than just thinking uh, the thought. It's always more powerful to write things down than just think them. Mm. And the other thing I wanted to ask about in terms of rejection, I guess sometimes I feel for myself and some of the women that I speak to, it's like they say in a lot of areas of your life, it's about building resilience. Is there an element of building resilience against these sorts of rejections? When it comes to swiping, for example, on, on dating apps, mm -hmm. you know, the analogy I give is cold calling for people who, you know, have to do sales and have to start cold calling people at home. Doing one cold call is horrific because <laughs> it's very nerve wracking. No, it's very, yeah. very difficult because yeah. someone's going to slam the phone or curse at you. But yeah. if you have to do 50 in the hour, then the minute you finish the first one, you just go on to the next because you have others to do. So that, you know, that safety in numbers works here with rejection as well. When you're on the app, don't, you know, swipe two people and then cross your fingers and wait for them to maybe respond. Mm -hmm. Swipe 20, swipe 30, you know, and those 30 people don't know you've done 30. So, so each of them is an individual, but then it's a numbers game. Then it's about, let's see how many of those respond again, because of what I said earlier, people are on dating apps with different intentionality. Many of those are not going to be that active or not going to be present or going to have other things going on. So they're not actually rejecting you. So it's important to put out as many numbers as you can, because likelihood is that those who are then available will be able to evaluate you and you'll get some responses. Mm -hmm. So so by doing that, you get a certain sense of resilience because it's not just doing one and waiting. It's like 30. And by, you know, when 25 of the 30 don't respond, the second, the 15th, the 20th doesn't really hurt that much because, mm. yeah, yeah, I get it. Some people don't respond. Some people do. Becomes the thought rather than all those people evaluated me and didn't like me. Mm. 
And I would love to talk about the bigger rejections that you mentioned before in terms of like bigger heartbreaks or if you have been dating someone for a while. I would love to hear about that, about why do breakups hurt so much? The thing about heartbreak and romantic heartbreak specifically is that there is really nothing else in the human experience that can take someone who has no uh, mental issues and make them absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And I say crazy, you know, in quotation marks. But what happens when we're heartbroken is we act completely out of character. Mm. There's a level of desperation. There's a level of, you know, we will do anything. We will say anything. We will text 150 times in an hour. The kinds of things we would never do in our non-heartbroken moments. And so to understand why that happens, because the thing that worries people is like, I'm going crazy. Mm. You know, and and and... They're behaving crazy for sure. But what happens is that we know that heartbreak activates the same circuitry in the brain, you know, the withdrawal of romantic love as uh, the withdrawal of opioids for heroin addicts. And if you think of the desperation of heroin addicts and the level of abasement they'll go to and desperation they'll go to and the things they'll do, they'll steal from their mothers, they'll do all these terrible things. But when you hear, oh, it's a heroin addict. Okay, now I get it. Well, there we are. It's very, very similar. When you hear it's a romantically heartbroken person, then you get it because they are acting with that same level of desperation because of what's going on in their brain. Mm-hmm. And and what is that? Is that because they've like you've developed a sort of dependence, like almost a codependence on that person? Is that the withdrawal that you're going through? Yes, it's absolute chemical <laughs> dependence, even though yeah. you haven't inhaled any chemicals. <laughs> or shut them up, or whatever your venue would be. And yes, it's absolute dependence. And that's the thing. In other words, the, the brain is not really distinguishing well between whether something has been withdrawn like cocaine or heroin versus love. And I really, I should say this just because it's funny. I read even when I was looking at the research that there was a little bit of a debate going on about whether in the love researchers, whether love should be classified as an addiction to begin <laughs> with, which is about as unromantic as you can possibly get, but, and it's not, but the debate was there because of how similar these mechanisms are. Mm. I would love to know some of the tips that you have for people. I mean, I think that, I mean, time must be a factor in these things, but are there other things that people can do, I guess, in the moment when it's happening? Yeah. So I gave the analogy of the heroin addict Mm. because it'd be most clear to people that when a heroin addict is trying to get off heroin, they have to go cold turkey. You know, they can maybe go on methadone if they're severe, but they but they can't do heroin. Even a little bit of heroin is going to set them back tremendously. And your heroin, when you're heartbroken, is your ex. Mm. And so I believe very strongly in the no contact rule. And the no contact rule doesn't mean contact. It means exposure. Because your goal is to reduce the presence of that person in your thoughts. And so stalking them on social media, going through all your photographs, mm. talking about them incessantly, and not talking about the early days or, you know, in the, in the first blush of the, of the heartbreak, which is very painful. Of course, you should seek social support and talk about it. But if you're talking about the same thing three months later, if you're still looking at their texts, trying to understand the nuance of why they said this or why they said that, and it's been two months, then you're really just keeping the addiction going. And it's very important to stop that as painful as it is. Because the less contact you can have, the less space you can give them in your thoughts, the quicker you'll recover. Mm. Do you think, because I've noticed since I've been doing more research and I discovered the research about how the brain activates with the rejection side of things, 
being more aware of it seems to like it happens and you're like, oh, that's why I'm feeling this pain. Do you think the awareness of what's going on in your brain is also important? Yes, it's very validating. Yeah. In general, when we feel, you know, physical pain is very simple in the sense that we know what's hurting and usually we know why. And if we don't know why, we rush to the doctor to find out. But this kind of emotional pain, when you're hurting so much and truly heartbreak can happen, even when you're thinking that, and, and people tell me like, oh, I wanted to break up with them 10 times and then they broke up and suddenly I'm devastated. Why is that? In other words, even if you're like, yeah, that wasn't good for me. I wanted out as well. But mm. Suddenly I'm so bereft. When you have an understanding of why that is, why you're experiencing the level of pain you are, why it's not going away, why, it, why it's making you so crazy. There's something very comforting and validating about that knowledge. At least you understand it at that level. And then at least you can also distance yourself a little bit from it. It's not me. I'm not weak. I'm not pathetic. I'm not this. I'm not that. This is just how my brain is responding. And so it allows you to be kinder to yourself Mm. and treat yourself with more self-compassion, which you absolutely need in those moments. Why do you think it takes some people so long because I know that there's that thing where, it, you know, it takes you X amount of time if you've been going out for this long. But why does it take some people so long to get over their ex? Well, heartbreak is very, very specific and individual in that way. So for mm. some people, let's say there are serial daters that, you know, they've had a bunch of relationships at a year here, three years there, one year there, one year there. So it might take them less time because they know that they tend to get into relationships again soon, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's somebody who hasn't had a good relationship or any relationship in 10 years and they finally found one and even if it lasted three months it's much more devastating for them because Mm. it was harder for them to find people they're more pessimistic about their chances this meant more this signified more for them or the expectations they developed were larger and stronger so it's a very individual thing plus we keep making mistakes which set us back like the stalking on social media like keeping up contact like keeping that relationship alive in our heads and obviously that will set us back and we also idealize the person and think we've lost the best thing in the world when there is no best thing in the world we're all flawed and so are relationships but that kind of thinking can really prolong the pain people experience Mm. yeah really interesting I guess I've heard you speak about this emotional first aid as you said like everyone goes through this this isn't just for people that have mental health issues. Are there things about emotional first aid that most people don't know about? Are there simple things that they can do when they are in emotional pain? Well, most people don't know about any of them. Just yeah. to be clear. Okay. So <laughs> it's not as if people are going around going, oh, I know when I feel rejected, I can do A, B, C, and D. And when I feel this, I can do all those things. I know. I It's totally because I didn't know until I started sort of researching and I came across your work and I was like, there are self-soothing things that I can do. It doesn't need to be a whole mental health plan. It can be things that I can do in the moment to help myself get through that sort of short-term pain. Absolutely. And that's why I wrote that book, Emotional First Aid, because it's a little bit of a medicine cabinet that anyone can have. The, The first thing you have to understand is that if you're experiencing emotional distress, and it's prolonged, and it's going on, that means there's a wound there that you need to do something about. When Mm -hmm. we get a cut on our arm, say, we can tell by the size of it whether we need a stitch, whether we need a Band-Aid, and then if it's really bothering us and seems to get infected, we know to go and do something about it. We're less versed when it comes to emotional wounds, but there are treatments that we can apply at home. And so first of all, we spoke about the treatments for rejection. If you actually 
take the time and don't get lazy. Take the time to actually do that writing mm. exercise. Take the time to really get things straight in your head about why this stings, even if you don't think it should. If you take the time to do those things, if you take the time to recover from heartbreak in the right ways, you can really help yourself without having to rush to a mental health professional. And there's so many things like that in our daily lives. So the more we know, the more we'll be able to truly avoid uh, mental health declining because we're actually taking care of things. We're not just letting things get out of hand. Hmm. And if people, I know you have a podcast, so I'd love for you to share that you've probably got a wealth of knowledge on there that people can go and listen to. Can you tell me a bit more about your podcast? Yes, it's called Dear Therapists with an S at the end, and it's available wherever podcasts, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, you can get it. Our most popular episode mm -hmm. is an episode about Srina's broken heart, and it's about heartbreak. What makes the podcast interesting is that I do it with a co-host. We're both advice columnists as well. And we choose a letter from our readers. We read it, but we're both therapists. So we do a case consultation. Then we bring the person in and we do an actual session that you will hear a psychotherapy session, you know, in the podcast. And at the end of that session, we give them actionable advice that they have to do within a week. And then we hear back and hear mm. well, how that went and what happened. And then we analyze that. So it's a very complete arc for each episode. But you're really going to learn a lot about yourself because you're going to hear an actual psychotherapy session, which most people do not have the privilege of hearing. But you'll learn a lot from it because along the way, there are a lot of small insights about things that you'll feel like, oh, I learned something there. Hmm. So again, dear therapists, wherever you get your podcasts. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It was awesome to chat. Thank you so much for having me. So Linda, over to you. So it's been a long, long time for me. <sighs> Um, since you've been heartbroken, uh, try, trying to think about any romantic heartbreak because I've been with dad since I was 25. So I was thinking, well, I only really had two serious boyfriends before him. Yeah. And both of those broke up because I went on extended travel overseas. Those were the days. Yeah. Sounds like me, Linda. I know. So I, I couldn't really think about it in that way, but I like the idea of reviewing yourself when you get rejected and then mm. listing five to ten that sounded a lot qualities that you have that you know are valuable in the dating world so I thought I'd ask you Hannah <laughs> what are at least five qualities that you know would be valuable so you sent this to me to think about and I couldn't think of anything and I texted that was you a bit sad <laughs> I couldn't really comment because I was about to have a facial. Yeah, I couldn't really think of anything. But anyway, I've I've given it a go. It's just a weird question to ask yourself. And I think at the moment, I, sometimes I can be a little bit negative about myself when it comes to dating. But anyway, I try to always remind myself that the person for me is out there. Like, you know, there'll be someone that will appreciate. Someone that will chemistry quirks. click with you. Yeah, mm. totally. So the first one is I do a really good night in. Like I know how to have a good night in. Yes. Basically I would cook like a really creamy pasta, whether that's like a tomato creamy pasta or mac and cheese, like something super creamy, followed by a really nice dessert, so apple pies or – I hope they're not the Coles apple pies. Yeah, they are. Or waffles <laughs> My favorite. with ice cream and maple syrup. Yeah. And the dinner is in front of the TV. Not and then, sitting at the table with candles no, and flowers. No, no, no. Sitting in – On the couch. Well, I sit on the floor because I do puzzles. <laughs> Mum, I bought a new floor <laughs> pillow 
And that floor pillow was $30 from Big W. And I looked at it the other day and I thought, I literally had this thought, that floor pillow gives me more joy than my Gucci bag. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying your bottom is not soft enough to sit on the floor. Mine is. (laughs) I'm the only person I know who doesn't need to wear pants, you know, those padded (laughs) pants when you go riding because I've got so much padding, literally don't wear them. Well, I li- I just look at that pillow and it gives me more joy than my Gucci bag, which I don't know whether that's a bad thing or a good thing, but anyway. Is it specifically for your bum? Yeah, it's like a square pillow that sits on the floor in front of my puzzle what's setup. what's different about a normal pillow? What's I just really like it. It was just, I saw it at Big W and I've been looking for a floor pillow and I was like, that's the one. Like, oh, it wasn't advertised as a bottom no, pillow. No, no, no. I, oh, I found it's it. it's just a floor yes. pillow. I see. Okay, gotcha. So binge watch a show until, you know, until our eyes are about mm, to close. Love that. Then we go to sleep and then wake up and because we haven't finished binging, order pancakes, which you're allowed to eat in bed. So pancakes from the Darling Cafe. Okay. Which, uh, after waffles, excellent. Yeah, pancakes and, and large <laughs> coffees in bed. I allow this in bed. You can spill it in the bed. That's okay. Oh. Yeah, and then and then finish the show and then have a shower after all of that. That all sounds with you sitting on the ground. <laughs> yeah, doing a puzzle. It's the yes. it's the No, you sitting in the ground <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. So that I just feel like that's a really good night in. I think you've come up with a great – is that one quality or five? That's or ten. one quality. The quality was a – That's one. The, one good, the quality is I do a really – Have you got four more? Yeah, I've got more. So – Oh, okay, carry on. I will always fill the awkward gaps on dates. Yes, with your good chatting. Yeah, my my um, banter, as some men like to say. So I feel like um, you won't have awkward gaps on dates, which is always nice. The next one is family always first, but there's a caveat. If my family don't like you, then it's over. Mm. We would never tell you. Yes, you would. You liar. <laughs> even, you if we, liar. even if we didn't like you. You liar. <laughs> you would. You'd tell me in your own secret way, Linda. I know you. Ooh, no, no. The next is as much as you probably think I'm not a good listener, if someone's going through a tough time and they need to like open up and get things off their chest and get some like advice. I am a good listener in those cases and I think I'm supportive of you people. You are, absolutely. I think I'm really supportive and I don't take that energy on as my own so I feel like I'm supportive. I can support someone through a tough time. So I think in that way that's actually a more serious one. And then the other one is if you're not a good sleeper, I'm really open. I'm not one of those people that's like we have to sleep in the same bed or if we like have our fun and our night out or whatever, go home. I don't care. Like do me a favour, go yes, home. Yes, you won't be offended. Never. Yep. So I'm pretty easy going in that way. I'm not easy going in many ways but I am in that way pretty easy going. Yes. Yes, good. So they're the five. They're the five. What did you think? I I, I think they're all good. Okay. But I came up with my five dating qualities. For me? <laughs> even though, for Not me. For you. Even though, I, even, even though I don't date. So after listening to that episode, number one, I have good eyes. <laughs> you do. That's really true. I do. And good eye contact, even though I can't really see, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. So number two, my nickname is the Bursa 
So if we're out what? for dinner or we're in a yeah, my nickname on holidays is the bursar. You don't know that? No. What does that mean? Do you know what a bursar is? No. Bursar is like um, an accountant at a school. So I, I got the nickname bursar. So if I'm in a big group or I'm out for dinner, I'll sort the bill out, especially when some people don't drink and some people drink enough for two. Yeah. Uh, number three is I will never say no to a dance. Yes, that's very true. She's a great dancer, as she's said on this podcast previously. <laughs> Many times. And a few things that align with you. Yes. Where am I up to? Number three. Number four, I'm obsessed with my family. Yeah, that's like, us. Like yep. you just said. Yep. Yeah. I don't know what number I'm up to, but I am a positive person, so I don't give off neggy energy. <laughs> neggy and... energy. I call it neggy energy. <laughs> What is do that, you call it? Trash energy. Bad vibes. Bad vibes. Trash energy. Yep. Okay. Low vibrational energy is the correct term. Yeah, no, I'm high vibe. I'm a high vibe. <laughs> and I said exactly the same as you. I am a good listener. Oh, yeah, but you're a good listener. Yeah. Well, I don't know, Linda. The other day I did say to you, you're not, what did I say? This was dead serious as well. You're not validating my feelings. Is that what I said? Oh, yes, I have to learn how to be a good validator to my kids. Yes, because she just moaning. If it's if it's <laughs> if we call her and moan, I know when she's zoned out. Oh, yep, yeah, yep. Mm. And then I'm like, okay, "You're not listening, right. Mum." And she's like, "No, no, no, I'm listening, but you're not." <laughs> I'm not active listening. No. Depends how much moaning goes on. <laughs> I can only take so much. All right. Well, that is it for today. Thanks for joining us. And I actually think that's a good challenge for everyone to write down the five qualities that make you. The thing is with dating and with rejection is that your person is out there, someone that thinks you are amazing, even with all your quirks and, and things that you think. Like I sometimes think the parts about me that are turning off like 90% of people that aren't interested, there's 10% of people that are like, you know, that you align with. Don't you agree? Hey, hey, here's an idea. Instead of walking dates yes. and coffee dates, why don't you do a night in with Hannah date? Oh I reckon gosh. that could be a winner. That's basically <laughs> saying like they think that they're coming over for sex and I'm like, no, 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 the- no, we're, no we're just going to binge watch <laughs> The Queen's Gambit and I'm going to make mac and cheese, like no, and then you're going home. No, but the rule is there'd be a bedtime and they have to go. Yeah, that actually could be, but I'd have to. Hey, let's try it. I'd have to have the first date, which is the vibe check, and then I could do it. And to be honest with you, no, I'm vi- I don't vibe many people on first dates. Yeah, you you are, yes. Oh. Oh, don't I know <laughs> it, sister. <laughs> On that note. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Bye. See you next week. If you made it this far, I'm hoping that you enjoyed the podcast. If you could subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast. Not that I'm desperate or anything. See you next week.